Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. Once upon a time, anti-Semitism was considered taboo like other forms of racism. But we are now in 2021. America has returned to normalcy, as Joe Biden would put it. And anti-Semitism is not only on the rise, it is skyrocketing. To make matters worse, it is becoming very normalized, thanks to big tech, the media, academia, the halls of Congress, and now a perverted new movement called wokeism, which together with a very determined and successful alliance with the Free Palestine and Hamas caucus, have mainstreamed and normalized the most virulent form of Jew hatred not seen since 1930s Europe. Anti-Semitism is no longer the domain of the David Dukes of America, but has permeated every aspect of American life. In 2012, a pre-med student named Lara Kolob publicly stated her intent to inject dangerous drugs into Jewish patients. When this became public in 2018, our, can, our guest, Kenneth Ryeski, whom Bela will introduce shortly... Uh, wrote a column in the Algaminer titled Hospitals and Schools Must Ensure That No Medical Professional Ever Uses Their Position to Harm Jews. I warned then that for every one person like her who gets exposed, there are hundreds who are under the radar. Last week, a Phoenix-based doctor from a children's hospital named Fida Wisha tweeted that Israel's end is near. Two weeks ago in Philadelphia, an Israeli catering truck business called Moshava, uh, Philly, was disinvited to a food event organized by the city of Brotherly Love after allegedly receiving threats of violence if they are allowed to participate. We will discuss these and other issues with attorney Kenneth Kayeski during our interview. Bela? Thank you, Alan. One of the oldest binding documents in history is the Hippocratic Oath that is held so sacred by physicians, it is accepted that these and those idealistic men and women who go into medicine, who swear to dedicate their lives to treat the ill, are doing so because they are humanitarians to the highest degree. And as they are sworn in, these men and women see this oath as a promise to uphold medicine and act in the patient's interest. We are talking about a code of ethics that is not just lip service, People who become physicians dedicate their entire lives forever to heal, protect, and preserve the privacy of their patients. The color of their skin does not matter. Their gender does not matter. Their religion does not matter. It does not matter if the doctor is a Palestinian or Islamist. And thank God, in most cases, it does not matter until it does. Until the day that a doctor decides that the hatred of Jews 
takes over the oath to heal the sick. Sadly, in our rich history, this is not the first time that a doctor sworn to heal used their position to cause harm. And in a sick, twisted way, when it comes to a hater of Jews, the oath does not matter. It is the killing of Jews that becomes their ambition. Joseph Mengele, a German physician, also known as the angel of death, didn't just make threats. He performed daily experiments on Jews and selected the victims to be killed in the gas chambers and even administered the gas. But that a doctor today should even have thoughts about killing Jews is something we do not expect. Yet it happened when Ohio doctor at the Cleveland Clinic, Lara Kolob, posted on her Twitter account that she would purposely give all the Yehuds, the Jews, the wrong medication. With us today to talk about the rise of Palestinianists and Islamists going to professional schools in medicine, law, and dental, and their public threats against Jews, and whether the professional associations have to change their standards to reject these students to the bar or terminate their licenses. So with us today to talk about this is Kenneth Ryeski. Kenneth is an attorney licensed to practice law in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and before the United States Supreme Court, and he is now based in Israel. He has written many scholarly articles on this topic. Ken, I know you want to be called Ken, right? Not Kenneth. Yes. Uh, welcome to our show. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, first of all, the French branch of my family pronounces it risque, but I pronounce it Reisky. Ah, okay. All right. And, um, um, I have here. one question. I have yeah. one question. In this day and age, in the United States, how can this be happening? Yes, that Ohio doctor was fired. But what about those professionals who are not tweeting about their intentions, whom we don't know about what they're thinking? What are they thinking in their heads? What's going on in their heads that they're not tweeting about? That's very scary because uh, you know that that, uh, Lara Kolob uh, cannot be the only one. You know that... uh, she, she's the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Um, she, my uh, problem with her is that um, she had tweeted that uh, you know the Canary Mission found her out uh, before uh, she was actually in medical school, but she had already started in a pre-med program. Now uh, she had already she used the term meds for medication. Uh, how many, my, my own son does not use the term meds or medica- for medication. Uh, never mind that his mother, my wife, is a doctor. Um, that's, uh, that's doctor speak. Uh, and she was already doing a pre-med program. So uh, she, she had already started uh, on the course of uh, towards uh, medical school. Right. Was, I believe she was uh, a resident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, Counselor, I'm going to ask a very, very provocative question. If I was a member of Congress or if I was Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson asking this, I'd be creating an SH storm. But I'm going to do this anyhow. Um, do professional schools have to now reconsider their entrance um, vetting system. Um, I know as people say that's a civil rights issue, but you know what? In America now, we have intense vetting 
to allow people coming in from certain countries? Do are, will professional schools have to vet everyone's social media? Will they have to keep special guard, knowing that not everyone is going to be stupid enough to tweet their intents when they're younger? Um, this is not again. This this new anti-Semitism is permeating every aspect of our lives, business, academia. It's in the halls of Congress. This is not a one and done. This is not a one time. This is not a, a knucklehead like David Duke. This is a real, real movement. Uh, the short answer, I think, is yes. Uh, I will preface this by saying that uh, at one point in time, my wife was on the admissions committee at the uh, University Hospital Stony Brook Medical School. And uh, you know, at one point she was. Uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, but uh, the short answer is uh, they have to check it out. They, they have to go beyond... Uh, the uh, the paper admission packages that the uh, students submit, the prospective students submit, they got to go beyond that. They got to do due diligence. Now, uh, when I was uh, you know um, when I was growing up, my dad uh, was an engineer. He uh, especially was radar, and um, I heard that when I was in Israel in 1973, that he had uh, done some stuff uh, that, that made a big difference in during the uh, Six Day War. And, uh, and then I uh, found after he died, I found some paper among his papers, some thank you letters from the Israeli government. He never talked about what he did. He had a security clearance. He couldn't talk. And I really began to understand that when I had my own security clearance, when I worked for the Department of Defense, they checked me out. Uh, the DOD checked me out. And then when I, the upside of that was when I came to work uh, for the IRS, uh, they hired a bunch of us. And uh, because I gave him the serial number of my investigation for my security clearance, I was one of the first ones who uh, came back uh, after they hired us uh, with, with a clearance that, uh, you know, I, I'm OK. They checked me out. Uh, I mean, people get checked out anyway, and uh, they have to do what's called due diligence. The schools have to do due diligence. Now, now the question becomes, uh, you know, what about the uh, civil rights of the people they're checking out? Uh, how, I, I would say that if I held all the cards then uh, the schools would have to uh, have some sort of system whereby uh, if a student is uh, rejected based on something that they uh, find uh, on the social media, something outside of the admission application papers, uh, then uh, the student needs to be confronted with them and the student needs to be given an opportunity to uh, explain it and maybe even have it uh, reviewed by a, uh, you know, let's use the uh, let's use a Freedom of Information Act uh, model here. If uh, you if your request for information under the Freedom of Information Act and federal or New York State, the Freedom of Information Law is is declined, then you have a right to appeal to a, a second uh, disinterested bureaucrat who can then make a decision. And only then can you take it to court. And uh, I think uh, schools should have to have uh, some sort of uh, you know uh, some sort of neutral uh, third party to review it if the student uh, wants to explain it. I mean, uh, people been denied credit. Uh, once upon a time, my mother was denied credit because um, I had a cousin named Harold Reisky. He should rest in peace. But um, he was on the he was doing the drug scene, and uh, his life story was that um, he would get the he would to support his habit. He'd engage in burglaries. He'd get uh, caught. Uh, he'd go to prison. And then he behaved well in prison, so they let him out. Wash, rinse, and repeat. So. Um, H. Reisky Harold, H. Reisky Helene. My mom's name is Helene. And uh, my mom got, uh, this is before the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act. She got uh, denied credit at the Philadelphia department store. So my dad uh, took a day off from work and uh, went down with her. And uh, 
he explained that the, he, he talked to them, but there, there are no mandatory procedures in those days for that to happen. Uh, there has to be some sort of a protection for the, uh, for the students. Uh, they have to craft some sort of, they're walking a very uh, tight balance. They have to uh, find some sort of uh, protection to ensure the students' rights. And in the meantime, they have to do their due diligence. Ken, I understand that your own wife, who when uh, she was an aspiring physician as a teenager, witnessed a terrorist attack in Jerusalem that killed 14 people and injured more than 62 people. And it was at that point um, that she realized and she resolved that she would, without doubt, study to become the best she could as a physician to help the sick and injured. So my question is, realistically, and I know what we spoke about just a minute ago, how can professional schools ascertain deadly intentions? Not every student uses social media. How can professional medical and other facilities ascertain deadly intentions by their very own, by one of their own? There has to be more than due diligence that you mentioned. It, I know civil rights and all, and, and, and you know, that, that, that goes without saying, but we need to protect innocent people. It's just not enough. I don't think enough is being done. I have to agree with you. Now, uh, I'm going to tell, bear with me. Uh, my favorite course in law school was uh, psychiatry and the law. It was taught by two I professors. Was, you know what? I was, I was hoping you would bring that up. Yeah, I was taught really by two professors. Uh, Professor uh, Trailer was the lawyer. Professor Heller was the shrink. And uh, they, uh, he, he was an expert. He testified in court cases. Uh, he was an expert witness. Professor, Heller, Professor Trailer had a significant hearing loss. Professor Heller had a uh, profound hearing loss. So we would sit in the classroom, we'd scream our questions to uh, Professor uh, Trailer, who would uh, scream them to Professor Heller, who was sitting right next to him. And then Professor Heller would answer in a uh, normal voice. They had a comedy act and they played it for all it was worth. Well, there's this one uh, course that uh, law students take when they take their torts course courses. It's called the uh, Tarasoff versus Board of Regents of the, the University of, of the State of California. There's this uh, one student named uh, Tatiana Tarasoff. I believe she was from Brazil or somewhere in South America. And uh, she uh, was, and there was this one uh, other student uh, who had a relationship with her. His name was Padar or whatever his name was. And he uh, had uh, informed one of the university's uh, student, uh, one of the university's uh, psychiatrists, uh, he was getting help there and he informed of his intention to do it. And they, uh, they never warned uh, Tashiana about it. And uh, he, sure enough, he killed her. And uh, Professor uh, Heller was saying that, uh, yes, uh, psychiatrists uh, can diagnose those things. There, there are ways of uh, diagnosing it. Uh, there are ways of diagnosing it. With a, this is back in the days when I was in the, when I was in law school, this is—I'm sure the uh, technology has improved by now. That there are ways uh, that they can uh, tell. A good psychiatrist uh, can tell when someone really is a danger. So um, I think that they, you can—they uh, do have the means to do it. It's at their disposal. So you're saying that a psychological evaluation is in order? Uh, yes. Yeah, but but are they going to do it for every student, or are they going to do it just for Muslims, or are they going to have to go through this now rigorous through every group? This way, they can't be accused of discrimination. Well, uh, th there you have uh, a problem because uh, you know uh, 
if you do it for everybody, uh, then uh, you can't be accused of discrimination, but it, it takes a lot of your resources. Right. Um, there's uh, something against uh, it's called profiling. Profiling is a tool like every other tool. It has its uses, has misuses. For example, uh, I have uh, here a uh, I have here a wrench here. Th th this wrench here is a uh, you know, if I'm using it as a hammer, it's not the right use for it. And I have a sledgehammer uh, which I gave to my son. He's now using it in his business. Now, for me, use that sledgehammer to repair my computer is a misuse of that tool. Of course. So profiling has its uses. Um, now, L. Al has been doing profiling for years. Back in 1973, when I was uh, returning from Israel right before the war, uh, I was uh, I, I did a little uh, side trip through Europe. So I had uh, come from um, taking the train from Munich to uh, Amsterdam. That's a whole nother story. I got uh, screwed up by the Israeli bureaucracy. So I decided that I'd uh, just enjoy Europe for a few days. Um, so, uh, so I'm in Amsterdam. I uh, go on the uh, train in Munich. I uh, go to uh, Amsterdam, and then I decide I check my luggage at the in one of those lockers in the uh, airport. There, remember when you had lockers, you could leave stuff in there. You could just arrive uh, five minutes before the plane left. Well, uh, El Al, I, I go to uh, a kiosk uh, that said El Al, and I say, uh, you know, I want to get a ticket back to the United States. And uh, so they uh, look at the, me, and they said. Well, there's a family that has not shown up. There's a flight that's leaving in 45 minutes. I can put you on standby, and then you'll go to the uh, LL uh, boarding uh, gate, and uh, they'll, if the family doesn't show, then you're on that plane. So, you know, I had a few addresses in Amsterdam, people I could hook up with. So I uh, figured, uh, hey, why not? I'm starting school in a week and a half. Um, so I go there, and then I exchanged my Deutsche Marks uh, into uh, dollars, um, and then I come, uh, I'm, I'm off for Schwitz when I get to the LL gate. And they start asking me questions there. You know, what were you doing in Israel? Uh, oh, I was at an archaeological dig. Where was the dig? Tel Sheva. How was Professor Yadin? If I had answered in the affirmative, they would have grabbed me because it was not Professor Yadin, it was Professor Aharoni. And Yadin and Aharoni were at each other's throats, they were rivals, but they knew what questions they asked you. And uh, you know, maybe they have to do some profiling. Maybe the fact that you're a Muslim uh, may play into the there. Although I will say that when I, I'd say that a half year after I made Aliyah, I was hospitalized for 10 days in Israel. And I was treated by, uh, by Arab and uh, Jewish uh, physicians and nurses and other paraprofessionals. And I had complete confidence in them. Sure. I guess it helped that my wife's department chair, who knew all these people, my wife has only, only, only been there working there a few months, but her department chair said not to worry about. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any, uh, any concerns. Well, thank God in most cases, right. Right. it's okay. I mean, well, most cases, doctors who are Muslim are dedicated. You know, we're, yes. we're, talk, we're talking about the isolated cases, and which is a problem, which is certainly a, a, a big issue. And, you know, we do need to protect people. You know, but yeah, well, so if you, well, my father, uh, he uh, would always uh, tell me when uh, I was growing up, uh, that he said, uh, oh, I got to ask the question again today. The security guy at his company came to him and said, that time of the year again, your parents were born in Russia. Have you had any contact with any of uh, relatives in Russia? And of course, he could say no, because uh, contact was broken back in 1935. And uh, I parenthetically stated that uh, 61 years later, I reestablished the contact. And that was after I had left the government and no, my security clearance was no longer uh, relevant. 
Um, but uh, he, he could honestly say that he had no contact with his uh, people in, uh, in Russia. Now, uh, it certainly didn't help things that uh, not all my grandfathers, uh, Dr. Alexander Reisky, I spelled the surname the same way, ran for Congress in uh, 1922 from uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. He came on the Communist Party ticket. He came in six out of six candidates. Uh, the fifth uh, place was the Jobless Party. But, uh, you know, here, this is back when the Communist Party was still legal in the United States. But uh, my father was subjected to um, more uh, intense uh, questioning on account of that. He was profiled. And uh, back uh, when, this, when Jonathan Pollard got arrested, uh, a lot of us uh, Jewish people with security clearances uh, felt that we were being given uh, more uh, intense scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was... Uh, and that was uh, that was uh, demonstrated uh, with um, with a David Tannenbaum uh, case. That, um, right. So again, that's a great that David Tannenbaum is actually a friend of mine, and we interviewed him uh, several months yeah. ago. But I want to follow up though with what you said earlier about profiling and allowing students the chance to clarify themselves. Recently in Congress, um, Ilhan Omar, she's from Somalia. Yeah. Um, she compared the U.S. and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban. And uh, when she was called out, she clarified her words. And the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, says her clarification is good enough for me. Um, this is America where we allow the most, you know, if you're from a certain group, you can get away with anything. Just clarify and you're good. Jews don't get that kind of break. But that's a different story, though. So pursuant to what you said earlier about giving students a chance to clarify themselves, it's very easy. You can say, I was young. I didn't mean it. I was stupid. I've learned my lesson. Um, And then again, you know, Bela had mentioned earlier about isolated incidents. I I don't know how isolated it really is. There is such a movement in America, the Free Palestine Movement. When you have members of Congress, there are 96 members of the Progressive Caucus. That's almost a third of all Democrats. And when you now have a legitimized movement where the leaders of Congress are afraid of these four pipsqueaks who are all freshmen, this tells me that there is a rise and a legitimacy of what they're calling. And because free Palestine means erase Israel. It does not mean let's fight for two states. And this is the rise that has been legitimized throughout this country. So I'm guaranteeing you that, you know, what um, Laura Cullum did 10 years ago, that was isolated. What happened last week in Phoenix, that's no longer going to be isolated. It's going to become more of the norm. Okay, now free Palestine means more than uh, eliminate Israel. It means eliminate the Jews, first of all. Let's understand that. Um, But uh, we have one thing that we didn't have, uh, didn't have back in my day when I had my security clearance. Uh, It's called the Internet. And there are uh, breadcrumbs, if you will, on the Internet uh, that, uh, you know, um, let's compare that to uh, what should be operative as uh, New York's or any other state's uh, parole system and the parole board. Um, for the first, uh, if, if people convicted of a violent crime, it's uh, very, very rare that uh, they will be uh, given parole the first uh, time out. But uh, after the, supposedly the board uh, will, uh, will give them, I mean, never mind Mike Huckabee and uh, Maurice Clemens, never mind that. But supposedly uh, the board uh, will, uh, will require them to uh, demonstrate the, this. Now, uh, you had the uh, Charles Friedgood case where the board uh, shied away from it. They just gave him parole when he contested it. 
Um, but uh, he had uh, everything uh, going for him to show that uh, he had uh, rehabilitated himself, that uh, the murder of his, uh, of his uh, wife, uh, never mind that it was uh, for, uh, for a mistress, uh, but, uh, you know, he, 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 in my opinion, demonstrated it uh, sufficiently for the board. Uh, meantime, uh, the Kathy Boudin case, I think uh, Kathy Boudin was uh, given too much of a pass. Never mind that uh, she is a uh, never mind she is a an un-Jew. Never mind that. Right. Ken, with regard to professional institution, we know there is a problem. And when I said earlier, isolated situations, it is with regard to doctors intending to kill Jews. I mean, thank God it doesn't happen on a, on a daily basis. We hope it doesn't happen on a daily basis. And that's why the psychological evaluations that you mentioned, Ken, is definitely very, very important. Um, and you know what? Even a few is way too much. Even if it's one, it's way too much. Mm. It, it's, that, that, that goes without saying. Um, you had written an article. That's what I'd like to talk to you about. You had written an article um, that University of Michigan has a big problem. Yes. So, you know, we're not talking here right now about um, a medical facility, but University of Michigan. Um, and I'd like you, if you could please explain to our audience um, how you got involved and what happened in that particular circumstance. So we, we know it's not just medical facilities. We know that it's professional institutions. Uh, yes, it is professional institutions. Now you had this uh, one uh, guy there. Uh, his name was, uh, what, what, what was his name? Uh, you know, uh, the, the professor there, his name slips me. I'm uh, over 65 years old. Uh, his name was, uh, what name? John Lippold Cheney. Um, he uh, had uh, promised a student a uh, he has promised a student a, uh, a recommendation to attend Tel Aviv University. Right. And then he uh, backtracked on it when he found out that uh, the university he was he was attending was uh, in ISRAEL, um, and he took the attitude. He said, uh, "You know, the school has to respect my, my uh, political obligations." Right. Uh, so I, I I shuddered to think um, what happens if uh, it enters a medical profession. What happens if uh, physicians start treating people based upon political obligations? And, um, you know, uh, it, 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 uh, my wife, uh, as, as shuddered as I was uh, by it, uh, my wife was all the more so. Um, because, uh, you know, it, 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 I mean, it's scary if, uh, people, if people's political obligations uh, trump uh, with a small t their uh, professional obligations. You know, how did you get involved in that? How did you get involved in that situation or that particular situation? I, I, I'm having trouble hearing. You're not. You're coming through fuzzy. Your, yeah. your voice is coming through fuzzy. Okay. Um, are you hearing me now? I hear you, but it's all it's all like uh, crackly and fuzzy. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us how you got involved in that situation in, in Michigan, in the University well, of Michigan? I, I saw it, and I just. Uh, there's something about that uh, rubbed me the wrong way. So I uh, wrote uh, the article and I submitted it. Okay, thank you. Okay, you know, Counselor, I saw another question. You mentioned earlier about um, when criminals, when they go for before a parole hearing and they want to know if they've been rehabilitated. In those cases, sometimes an, an act of crime is committed. It, it's targeted. It's a one-time deal. Someone was triggered. They were angry. But mm -hmm. what's happening here is though this the, these Palestinianists 
are motivated by an ideology. And yes, there are, there are some who convert. You know, we've, we've met them before. Uh, we've had guests on this program who, who belong to uh, Muslims against anti-Semitism. So by no means is this a, you know, are we grouping everyone together? But there just is a very, very large pro-Palestinian anti-Israel movement uh, growing in this country motivated by an ideology where it's almost it's a mitzvah for them it's bragging rights to say how many jews they have harmed a few weeks ago in lawrence new york a jewish boy uh was beat up by a palestinian mob and upon um his release through bail he said he would do it again so that again shows that this is driven by ideology not by i was triggered by anger i'm sorry i saw something on tv and these doc, people who are in medicine, if they're talking this way, then you know that they are driven by a deep, by, by passion. And it's not going to happen just once until they get caught. Yeah, and it, uh, that's very scary. Now, um, it goes, uh, let's, uh, let's tap into the uh, interview you had last week with Jeff Lacks. Um, yeah. he, uh, I taught at the uh, City University of New York at a different college, a Queens College. And my department chair, who was an hour just to him, uh, he, he's a black hat yeshiva bucker, uh, Israel Blumenfrucht of the Department of Accounting at uh, Queens College. And, uh, you know, he uh, wears his kippah, he wears his black hat. Right. Uh, I wore my kippah on campus. Uh, a lot of people in the department do. Lot, well, Queens College has a higher uh, higher religious Jewish uh, population. Right. They're in Kew Gardens Hills. Correct. Um, but, uh, and I, I never had a problem with it, uh, quite frankly. Um, but uh, it, it's now permeated down to the uh, to, to the undergraduate level, unfortunately. It, it, it's uh, in the undergraduate level, and uh, what's happening is that the, the uh, is that the uh, the whole faculty uh, union, the faculty there, and the unions, uh, faculty unions are, uh, are, are are they're breeding it. They're breeding it. He, he explained it to him, and I uh, agree with what he said. One hundred and ten percent. In fact, the unions, the uh, professional staff Congress, um, one thing that was not mentioned in your uh, piece with uh, Jeff Lax is that um, the professional staff Congress uh, has at least the, they have what's called an agency fee. If you're not a member of the union, then they, they, you have to pay an amount equal to your union dues to them because they represent you uh, in some of the benefits you get from the, uh, from, from the school. And uh, it was suspended uh, under a prior union administration because, uh, you know, they, they had their own political reasons for suspending it. But they, when Barbara Bowen came and took over the Professional Staff Congress, uh, she put it back in again. Uh, Barbara Bowen is a uh, screaming uh, leftist. I happen to uh, get along with her uh, reasonably well personally, but that doesn't uh, change anything. Um, so... Um, yeah, so I I figured I'd uh, join the union because uh, now if I'm a member, they have to let me attend the union meetings, and they can't uh, bar me from the union meetings. Uh, so uh, I attended them, and I uh, mentioned my views there. And of course, uh, I uh, was not very popular there, but uh, you know, so, so I'm not popular. So right. what? Except that they're very popular. Ken, move back a little bit. Now, now you're clear again. Okay, Ken, um, let's talk a bit about what you dubbed in your Times of Israel blog, the Philadelphia food fiasco, where Mosheva Philly was disinvited from an event meant to assist immigrant businesses from a food festival. What was that all about? And again, my question is, how could this happen in this day and age? Well, 
I, I think uh, the uh, answer lies partly in two words, Temple University. I got uh, two sheepskins from them. I did my undergrad temple. I did my law temple. And the Temple University today is not the Temple University that I uh, attended. It's a different uh, animal altogether. It's not the, the Temple University that Russell Conwell founded. It's a whole different thing. Now, I saw that there's always been some leftist uh, movements there, but Temple University was founded because the University of Pennsylvania had Jew quotas. Now, quotas for Jews mean different things than quotas for other DDMGMs, downtrodden, disadvantaged minority group members. Um, for uh, the, uh, for the uh, DDMGMs, the quota is a minimum. For Jews, it's a maximum. And uh, Russell Conwell got a lot of Jews going to Temple University because they couldn't get in the University of Pennsylvania, at least not until uh, after World War II when they had the GI Bill. And even then, uh, they still had problems. But, um, you know, uh, my dad got his uh, degree, his undergrad degree at uh, Penn. Um, but, uh, you know, you have a lot of uh, Jewish donors uh, to Temple University, and uh, they're the schmucks for donating money to them. You have uh, the Schusterman Hall, you got uh, Barack Hall, you got you got all these uh, buildings named after uh, Jewish uh, donors who wrote uh, large figure checks. And uh, I, I think it, uh, it has to be uh, made clear that, you know, well, why is the Jewish community in Philadelphia support them all? And, uh, you know, uh, you have the, uh, the Philadelphia Judenrat, they're, uh, they're screaming peace and brotherhood and uh, kumbaya and all that stuff. Right. It's yeah. a problem. Now, at Temple University, the two uh, people who founded the uh, Eat Up the Borders were Temple University students and uh, the Temple University Klein School of Business, Klein, another one of them, um, they... Um, they boasted about her before this happened, like about a year and a half before it happened. They they put a public relations piece boasting about that one of their students, uh, her name was uh, what Cindy Go. Uh, she has uh, found this eat up the border so people can get together by eating food, and um, they. they uh, I think it was because uh, they had this uh, leftist ideology drilled into them, and and uh, maybe it, it may have uh, started before they went to Temple, but at Temple it was only. Uh, it was only increased. In fact, um, you had that uh, process of temple all the time. Now, one of the things uh, when I started, uh, when I left high school, I was leaning uh, towards being a liberal. But then uh, when they had the uh, Yom Kippur War, a lot of uh, people in the uh, leftist uh, circles I was on the fringes of started turning against Israel. And then I realized that uh, the leftists had a lot of things in common, like um, Trotsky, Slansky, Zinoviev, Robespierre, all of them were turned upon by their own leftists uh, because uh, they uh, did not adhere to the party line. And I realized that because I am outspoken and I don't always uh, think the way people tell me I have to think, they would eventually turn on me. I mean, even today, you have uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, people were turning on Tim Carpenter. And then in uh, Seattle, you have... Uh, Kashama Sawant and uh, Jenny Durkin, uh, they uh, used to be comrades, but now they're going uh, at each other. The left turns on its own, it eats its own. And uh, that's why I started to rethink things. That's what caused me to rethink it. Thank and you, Ken. Yeah. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Our, our time is up. Thank you for joining us on the Definitive Wrap today. And thank you to our audience for tuning in and to vinews.com 
for our show being their official podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.